Montree Church, and some of you who have been listening by means of radio will understand that we have been looking at some of the highlights in the book of Acts. We have come, of course, into some great series of events that took place in the life of the great apostle Paul. Paul stood before Jesus had told him when he was converted on the road to Damascus that he was a chosen vessel and that he would use him to stand before many people to bear a testimony for him, and that vision came true. This apostle uh, is one of the great movers of all of history. And when he stood before men such as we saw last week, a remarkable Roman governor whose name was Portius Festus, and a Jewish puppet king who was the last Jew ever to be, king of the Jews. Paul bore a great testimony to Christ, but he had appealed to Caesar on the basis of his Roman citizenship because he knew that the Jews would not give him an adequate trial back in Jerusalem. There had already been a riot that had occurred there. And when that riot had occurred and Paul was almost killed, he was rescued by Lysias, a Roman centurion. It's an interesting thing to note that every time these centurions appear in Scripture, it's almost always, in fact it is uniformly, in an excellent light. They were people that were remarkable men of integrity and loyalty and trust. Well, when Paul had been rescued and was taken to a barracks for safekeeping in Acts 23, verse 11, there is a vision that occurs to him, and then we'll shift over to chapter 27. But on the night immediately following, this is while he has been taken prisoner, the Lord stood at his side, that is by Paul's side, and said, Take courage, for as you have solemnly witnessed to my cause at Jerusalem, so you must witness at Rome also. Now that's a promise that God has given to the apostle. Two and a half years will pass by. He will be imprisoned in Caesarea, the Roman fortress capital in that area. He will witness before Agrippa and Festus and Felix. He will try to place before these men the awesome fact that each of them will give an, accountability, an accounting to God for their own life. It's interesting to me that Paul doesn't appeal for himself. He appeals that they might come to a knowledge of God through faith in Jesus Christ. He's more concerned about that than saving his own skin. He also uses his Roman citizenship because he wants other Christians to have the opportunity to propagate the gospel of Jesus Christ and he'll take full advantage of what the government will allow in that direction. And now at chapter 27, we pick up these words, and I can only read a portion of it. He has, of course, been told that he must go to Rome to stand trial. And when it was decided that we, now that means that the author of the book of Acts, who is Luke, is with them. And when it was decided that we should sail for Italy, they proceeded to deliver Paul and some of the other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan band whose name was Julius. It's significant that this man is named. 
and embarking in a ship which was about to sail to the regions along the coast of Asia, we put out to sea accompanied by Aristarchus. That's interesting. Aristarchus and Luke may have signed on board as Paul's slaves. Do you know anyone that you love enough that you would be willing to sign up as his slave to go on a dangerous journey? Do you know any missionary that you would do that for? Well, that's how greatly these men loved and respected Paul. The next day we put, out, we put in at Sidon and Julius treated Paul with consideration. That's that centurion again. He allowed him to go to his friends and receive care. And from there we put out to sea and sailed under the shelter of Cyprus because the winds were contrary. And when we had sailed through the sea along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we landed Myra in Lycia. And there the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing for Italy, and he put us on board. And when we had sailed slowly for a good many days with difficulty, we arrived at Nidus, since the wind did not permit us to go further. We sailed under the shelter of Crete off Salamis. Salmone, and with difficulty sailing past it, we came to a certain place called Fair Havens, near which was the city of Lacia. And when considerable time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous, since even the fast was already over, that fast would have been Yom Kippur, which in 59 AD would have been celebrated on October the 5th. The fast was over, Paul began to admonish them and said to them, Me and I perceive that the voyage will certainly be attended with damage and great loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion was more persuaded by the pilot and the captain of the ship than by what was being said by Paul. And because the harbor was not suitable for wintering, the majority reached a decision to put out to sea from there if somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, facing northeast and southeast, and spend the winter there. And when a moderate south wind came up, supposing that they had gained their purpose, they weighed anchor and began sailing along Crete close to inshore. But before very long there rushed down from the land a violent wind. And when the ship was caught in it and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and let ourselves be driven along. And running under the shelter of a small island called Clauda, we were scarcely able to get the ship's boat under control. And after they had hoisted it up, they used supporting cables in undergirding the ship. And fearing that they might run aground on the shallows of Sardis, they let down the sea anchor and so let themselves be driven along. The next day we were being violently storm-tossed and they began to jettison the cargo. And on the third day they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. And since neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small storm was assailing us, from then on, all hope of our being saved was gradually abandoned. And when they had gone a long time without food, then Paul stood up in their midst and said, Men, you ought to have followed my advice 
and not to have set sail from Crete and incurred this damage and loss. And yet now I urge you to keep up your courage, for there shall be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood before me, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar, and behold, God has granted you all those who are sailing with you. Therefore, keep up your courage, men, for I believe God that it will turn out exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on a certain island. Amen. May God bless to our understanding this part of his word. Let us bow in prayer. O oh God, our Father, we thank you for the testimony of the great hymn which we have heard sung this morning and for the remarkable testimony of your great servant, the Apostle Paul, and for the great fact that you exist and that you are and that you are here this morning and that you speak to us when the storms of life are raging. In the midst of all of the confusion and the tumult of voices that are round about us in life, there comes one clear word, and that word comes from you. And we bless you for that good cheer which you bring to those hearts that are yielded to you. Speak to us this morning of what it means to glorify you by loving you and by doing what you command. And take these gifts which we offer and use them to the testimony and praise of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ in whose name we dedicate them. Amen. I want to try to tie in something for you that's kind of interesting. Um, believe me, I'll get right to the storm. But <laughs> I want to read you first a quotation from The Everlasting Man. That's a book by Gilbert Keith Chesterton. Listen to this quotation. There comes an hour in the afternoon when the child is tired of pretending, when he is weary of being a robber or a cowboy. It is then that he torments the cat. Believe me, it gets worse. Uh, Chesterton goes on, quote, And there comes a time in the routine of an ordered civilization when men and women become tired the effect of this staleness is the same everywhere. It is seen in all drug taking, all alcohol drinking, and every form of the tendency to increase the dose. Men and women seek stranger sins or more startling obscenities as stimulants to their jaded senses. They try to stab their nerves to life as if it were the knives of the priests of Baal. They are walking in their sleep, and they try to wake themselves up with nightmares. That's quite a quotation, isn't it? It was written in 1925. And if it were true in 1925, think about what it is today. And think about the cacophony, the unharmonious sound of voices that we get constantly. Last week I watched part of the uh, C-SPAN uh, interviews regarding violence on television. 
All you have to do is to stop and think of the enormous epidemic that there is in the United States of drugs and alcoholism and escapisms of every description. And we wonder in the midst of all this boredom and staleness, what can there possibly be to bring us back to what is refreshing and good and true and right? And so in this storm, the voice of God speaks to us. The voice of God speaks to us because we, we have been led astray. And we need to hear his voice. This book, which I hope many of you will try to get a copy of and read, it's too expensive to buy, it costs 31 bucks, by Paul Johnson, called Modern Times from the 20s to the 80s, does something that I've been hoping for years that some historian who was competent would come along and do. He tells us how when Albert Einstein came along with the general theory of relativity, that people did what Einstein never intended for them to do. Now that theory, of course, has to do with, with motion and with, uh, uh, if you're sitting here and a train passes, you have the sensation that you're moving when you're not. The train is moving outside that's passing by you. You look at the gentleman across and he sits still, but you look out there and you think you're moving. And Einstein saw this, and finally he got it verified by some photographs that were made about 1916 off the coast of Brazil and Africa. And then people horrified him by taking the general theory of relativity and applying it to morals, that everything is relative. He believed, although he was not a practicing Jew, that God exists. And he believed in an absolute right and wrong. But now we are caught up in this boredom that breaks out in all this rash of things which we see here. Because people have gone away from the truths of God. Instead, they took an idea and went awry with it. They took what Freud said when he tried to do away with the feeling of guilt. They took Darwin's theory and took it beyond all common sense that we were going to progress upward and onward forever. And then they took Karl Marx and you put all of these things together and this great historian tells you how you get the aberration and the nightmare of modern times where total populations are killed, where we find ourselves in such danger as exists today. And then you bring that down to contemporary America. And you turn on the TV set last week and I saw an old woman, very brilliant old woman, Claire Booth Luce, speaking to the National Press Club in Washington, D.C in saying to them, you're trying to make it so that God is ruled out. And this is being done to a large extent, said Mrs. Luce, by the media and by many other people in public life. She said, okay, rule out God and who is going to take his place 
Will the Supreme Court? Will the press? Will public opinion polls? Where will your rock be? Where will you have an anchor that will hold? The, one of the close times that I came to being killed twice in the Sebastian Inlet down in Florida, I nearly got killed. Once at a boat that capsized, and then another time when an anchor slipped. In this account that we're going to read and have read about Paul, he sets sail and comes into a storm. And by the way, people who want to authenticate Scripture uh, by showing the trustworthiness of it often go back to this account because there's just simply an incredible amount of information that's given to us here about the seamanship of the day in which Paul lived. And Luke records it for us in such vivid dramatic detail that it's exciting. I noticed you were quiet a moment ago when I was reading it. When Paul had set sail on the ship, he had been given a promise by God. Now that's what I'm trying to apply this stuff to. We need God. The greatest question I was ever asked in my life is, what is the chief end of man? What is my purpose in existing? My purpose in existing is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Based upon that premise, your universities were built. Rip it out and you'll come to the nightmare where people get tired and bored and torture the cat. Only instead of the cat, it will be millions of people who will be put to death in Russia and as Lady Astor asked Joseph Stalin, when are you going to quit killing people? He would reply in a blasé way, when I've killed as many as I need to. You see, there was no personal responsibility that he had to answer to God. What are you going to do when you don't have a God to answer to personally? What are you going to do when you don't have a God who is overruling the storms that come to you in life. And some of you face storms. What do you do? Well, Paul was given a promise that God would be with him, that he was going to get to Rome, and to Rome he would go. And so he had appealed, and you know the account of how they set sail. Let me say this about storms in Scripture. Storms in Scripture, if you study the great storm stories, and I love them, you read about Jonah in the Old Testament. Jonah got a lot of people into a tremendous storm because he disobeyed God. And let me say this to the young people who are here. You don't have to be with Jonah trying to sail to some far-off place to get away from God. You can be in an automobile driving to yesterday's in Asheville and get into a lot of trouble. One of the most dangerous places for you to be is around a Christian who is out of the will of God. He'll get you in trouble. Jonah nearly got everyone on that boat killed because he was running away from God. Beware of people who run away from God. And conversely, here is Paul, who is in the path of duty, obeying God. And that results 
and the people who are on board that ship being saved. So instead of being around people who are running away from God, get with people who are being obedient to God. And then even though the storm attacks, you will be safe because God will keep his promise and God will keep his purpose. He had told Paul that he would be with him and he was with him. And he had told him when he gave this great promise to those people after they had been in that tremendous storm and they had to send people under the boat to try to wrap it up and hold it together. Then the angel of God appeared to Paul and he spoke to the people and he said to these men, you should have listened to me. They had a, a soft wind blow and they thought that that would be a good thing to do to set sail and they wanted to get to a better port to put in for the winter. And it was already past October the 5th, so it was getting into the dangerous time for sailing. And Paul experienced and knew, was experienced and knew this. Men, you ought to have followed my advice and not to have set sail from Crete and incurred this, incurred this damage and loss. And yet now I urge you to keep up your courage, for there shall be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this night an angel of God, to whom I belong and whom I serve, stood before me. In the midst of all the craziness that's going on in the world, I want to be true to God, and I want to carry out his purposes. This angel said to God, do not be, said to Paul, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar, and behold, God has granted you all those who are sailing with you. Because he was obedient, he saved everyone that was on board that ship. They were saved because they were riding with the right man. I've seen people that I'd like to be around if lightning was striking. Now I've seen some other people that I'd get away from if lightning was striking. Well here, we read these words, Therefore keep up your courage, men, for I believe God, that it will turn out exactly as I have been told. And then he goes ahead, but we must run aground on a certain island. And then when the fourteenth night had come, as we were being driven about in the Adriatic Sea about midnight, the sailors began to surmise that they were approaching some land. They heard, uh, undoubtedly, the surf crashing against the rocks. They took soundings and found it to be twenty fathoms, and a little further they took another sounding and found it to be fifteen fathoms. And fearing that they might run aground somewhere on the rocks, they cast four anchors from the stern. And they wished for the daybreak. And as the sailors were trying to escape from the ship, they had let down uh, the ship's boat into the sea, that is the boat that they would use to um, escape, on the pretense of intending to lay out anchors from the bow. Paul said to the centurion, that Roman captain again, Unless these men remain in the ship, you yourselves cannot be saved. And then the sailors cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it fall away. The soldiers cut away the ropes. And until the day was about to dawn, Paul was encouraging them all to take some food, saying, today is the 14th day. Imagine being in a storm like this for 14 days that you have been constantly watching and going without eating and have taken nothing. Therefore, I encourage you to take some food, 
for this is for your preservation, for not a hair from the head of any of you shall perish. Here is predestination. And here is the sovereignty of God. And here is also human responsibility. They were to observe sensible rules. Paul knew that they needed those sailors, and so he did not want them to cut loose from the ship. He knew that it was sensible for them to eat, and so he told them to eat. I have people who come to me sometimes in the midst of a crisis who are so worn out from a lack of sleep that the most spiritual thing they can do is to go to sleep. And then when they wake up, they can think more clearly. And having said this, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of all. Who do you give thanks to? When you give thanks to God, you show that someone is in charge of this universe. That it's bigger than what we were reading about a while ago, the nightmares and the terrors that go on, that God is working his purposes out as year succeeds to year. And having said this, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of all and broke it and began to eat. And all of them were encouraged, and they themselves also took food. Here this little Jewish man who had been beaten and battered for the cause of Christ is the one who holds things together in this great crisis. And all of us in the ship were 276 persons. Luke and Aristarchus and Paul were the three that we know were Christians. They were true to God. And the other 273 people were saved because these men were there. And when they had eaten enough, they began to lighten the ship and throw out the wheat into the sea. And when day came and they could not recognize the land, but they did observe a certain bay with a beach, and they resolved to drive the ship into it if they could. He needed the sailors. And casting off the anchors, they, le they left them in the sea, while at the same time they were loosening the ropes of the rudders and hoisting the foresail. They were headed headlong to the beach, but they struck a reef where two seas met, and they ran the vessel aground, and the prow struck fast and remained immovable. But the stern began to break up by the force of the waves. Now then, the soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners, that none of them should swim away, because that was a law of Rome, that if a prisoner was yours, you had to keep him, or you had to pay for it with your life. But that centurion that we mentioned earlier, wanting to bring Paul safely through, kept them from their intention and commanded that those who could swim should jump overboard first and get to the land and that the rest should follow, some on planks and others on various things from the ships. Do you see the vividness of the detail here? Now, the people who allegorize everything in Scripture and make a typology out of it say that the ship here represents the church. And if that were true, then the planks, I guess, would represent the church boards. <laughs> I wouldn't have much faith in getting ashore. <laughs> uh, 
and they, you have to watch all that allegorization stuff. Here, they are obeying God, and God is keeping them. And that's the thing that we want to remember here. And how does the Lord bless them? Through fellow believers who encourage them. They are tested through these circumstances through which they have gone and through these difficulties. But this man's great faith in God keeps them and keeps them strongly because God is going to bring Paul to Rome. First and second Timothy are riding on that boat. Philippians is on that ship. Letters that Paul is going to write later. And God's going to accomplish his purpose. So that's why I say, when the storms are life or of life are raging, get by a Christian who has faith in God and who is close to him. Get away from one who is disobedient to God unless you can dissuade him out of that disobedience. Paul's anchor of faith and his sense of destiny had brought to him a great deal of peace. I can remember as a little boy out in East Texas, we used to sing a, a song, Mike, I think it came out of the Baptist hymn book. It was a good song. It, it, you know what the word said about the storm that Jesus stopped one time? Whether the wrath of the storm-tossed sea or demons or men or whatever it be, no water can swallow the ship where lies the master of ocean and earth and skies. They all shall sweetly obey my will. Peace be still. Peace be still. You see, God will have his way in the whirlwind. And God will have his way in the storm. He will keep his way. He will keep it there. But what will you do? What do you do with your opportunity? I think that I've often thought it would be great to think about Julius, the centurion. That man later shows great kindness to Paul again and again. And maybe his name is mentioned because he becomes a believer. Maybe he took advantage of the opportunity that was his to know Luke and to know Paul. Have you taken advantage of your opportunity to know the Savior and to live for him? We come to the close of the service and there's always an opportunity given in some way it's implied or expressed for you to make a commitment to the Lord of the whirlwind and the storm to give yourself to him and to ask him to take as much of yourself as you know how to give and to make you what you ought to be and you can do that Clarence Edward McCartney who used to preach sometimes in Anderson Auditorium and for years the distinguished minister of the First Presbyterian Church in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and before that at the Arch Street Church in Philadelphia, and before that at the First Presbyterian in Patterson, New Jersey. He was one time in a taxi cab riding across um, Chicago, and he was with William Jennings Bryan, the famous orator and uh, political figure. William Jennings Bryan once made a great speech in the Coliseum in Chicago. 
And in that speech, he moved with such great eloquence the people who were there in his famous cross of gold speech that he was three times the nominee of his party for the presidency of the United States. I remember once in Miami talking with a man who heard William Jennings Bryan speak. And he said to me that even though the years had gone by and it was many, many years before, he said, I can still recall and chill bumps come on me when I think of that moment. So Dr. McCartney, riding in the back of the cab, said to William Jennings Bryan when they passed it, he said, that's where you made your great speech. And he said, I suppose that you've made other speeches that were just as great as that one, but this one made you the candidate of your party three times for president. And Bryan said an interesting thing to him. He said, yes, that was an opportunity, and I seized it. And then he thought for a while and said, you know, that's about all that life is made up of is opportunities that we either let go or that we seize. Now here we have proof of the sovereignty of God. Here we have an opportunity for salvation today. The winds will strip away the leaves from the trees. The snow will come. Winter will set in. The changing of the seasons all tell us that time is going by. But what will you do with Jesus Christ. You know, that's amazing. This little prisoner on board that ship should be the one that we're reading about today. The emperor before whom he was going to Rome is only some person that we named dogs after, Nero. But Paul and Pauline, we name our children St. Paul, makes a mark in history for us because he surrendered all that he was to God. And that same Christ is offered to you too. Let us bow in prayer. Oh God our Father, we reckon you to be our creator, that we are endowed by you with a longing after you that is created within us a hunger and thirst for eternity because you have placed it within our hearts. If nothing in this world really satisfies us, then help us to know it is because we were never made just for this world. But we were made for you. And that freshness comes to us when we repent and take fresh hold upon the truths which you reveal to us. We thank you for the blessed Apostle Paul, for the suffering through which he passed, and the way in which you used him to reach so much of the world with your message and your purpose, and help us to know that we too may be a part of your, and are a part of your great plan and that you will use us to reach others also. Bless us that we may be faithful to the opportunities that we have. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the communion and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit our Teacher be and abide with us all 
both now and forevermore.